Section 16 of The Black Prophet by William Carleton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 16. While they are on their way, we shall return to our friend, young Dick, who was left to trudge home from the grey stone on the night set apart for the abduction of Mave Sullivan. Hanlon, or McGinnis, as we ought now to call him, having by his shrewdness and Roddy Duncan's loose manner of talking, succeeded in preventing the burglarious attack upon his master's house, was a good deal surprised at young Dick's quick return, for he had not expected him at all that night. The appearance of the young gentleman was calculated to excite impressions of rather a serio-comic character. "'Hanlon,' said he, "'is all right, every man at his post?' "'All right, sir, but I did not expect you back so soon. "'Whatever you've been engaged on to-night "'is a secret you've kept me out of. "'Damn, I was afraid of you, Hanlon. "'You were too honest for what I was about to-night. "'You wouldn't have stood it. "'I probed you on it once before, and you winced. "'Well, sir, I assure you I don't wish to know what it is. "'Why, as the whole thing has failed, "'there can be no secret in it now.' The old prophet hoaxed me cursedly to-night. It was arranged between us that he should carry off Sullivan's handsome daughter for me, and what does the mercenary old scoundrel do but put his own in her place with a view of imposing her on me? Faith, and of the two she is thought to be the finest and handsomest girl, but, my God, how could he do what you say and his daughter sick of the typhus? "'There's some damned puzzle about it, I grant.' "'He seemed puzzled. "'His daughter seemed sick, sure enough. "'And I am sick. "'Hanlon, I fear I've caught the typhus from her. "'I can think of nothing else. "'Go to bed, sir. "'I told you as you went out "'that you had taken rather too much. "'You've been disappointed, and you're vexed. "'That's what ails you. "'But go to bed, and you'll sleep it off.' "'Yes, I must. "'In a day or two it's arranged "'that I and Travers are to settle about the leases, "'and I must meet that worthy gentleman with a clear head. "'Is Darby's Ganadra, sir, to have Dalton's farm? "'Why, I've pocketed a hundred of his money for it, "'and I think he ought. "'However, all this part of the property is out of lease, "'and you know we can neither do nor say anything,' till we get the new leases oh yes you can sir replied hanlon laughing it's clear you can do at any rate how is that what do you grin at confound you you can take the money sir that's what i mean by doing him ha 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 very good charlie but i'm sick and i very much fear that i've caught this confounded typhus the next day being that on which the trial took place he rose not from his bed, and when the time appointed for meeting Travers came, he was not at all in anything of an improved condition. His gig was got ready, however, and accompanied by Hanlon, he drove to the agent's office. Travers was a quick, expert man of business, who lost but little time and few words in his dealings with the world. He was clear, rapid, and decisive, and having once formed an opinion, 
there was scarcely any possibility in changing it this indeed was the worst and most impracticable point about him for as it often happened that his opinions were based upon imperfect or erroneous data it consequently followed that his inflexibility was but another name for obstinacy and not unfrequently for injustice as henderson entered the office he met our friend the peddler and old dalton going out dalton said travers do you and your friend stay in the next room i wish to see you again before you go how do you do henderson i'm not well replied henderson not at all well but it won't signify how is your father much as usual i wonder he didn't call on you no he did not i suppose he's otherwise engaged the assizes always occupy him however now to business mr henderson and he looked inquiringly at dick as much as to say i am ready to hear you we had better see i think proceeded dick and make arrangements about these new leases i shall expect to be bribed for each of them mr richard bribed exclaimed the other ha 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 that's good why do you think there's anything morally wrong or dishonourable in a bribe asked the other with a very serious face come come mr travers said dick a joke's a joke only don't put so grave a face on you when you ask such a question however as you say yourself now to business about these leases i trust continued travers that i am both an honest man and a gentleman yet i expect a bribe for every lease well then replied henderson it is not generally supposed that either an honest man or a gentleman would take a bribe eh well damn it no not exactly that either but come let us understand each other if you will be wilful on it why a wilful man they say must have his way bribery however rank bribery is a crime to which neither an honest man nor a gentleman would stoop you see i anticipate what you are about to say you despise bribery mr henderson sir replied the other rather warmly i trust that i am a gentleman and an honest man too but still a wilful man mr henderson must have his way you know well of course you are a gentleman and an honest man he then rose and touching the bell said to the servant who answered it send in the man named darby skinadra if that miserable wretch was thin and shrivelled looking when first introduced to our readers he appeared at the present period little else than the shadow of what he had been he not only lost heavily the usurious credit he had given in consequence of the widespread poverty and crying distress of the wretched people who were mostly insolvent but he suffered severely by the outrages which had taken place and doubly so in consequence of the anxiety which so many felt to wreak their vengeance on him under that guise for his heartlessness and blood-sucking extortions upon them your name proceeded the agent is darby skinadra 
"'Yes, sir. "'And you have given this gentleman a sum of a hundred pounds as a bribe "'for promising you a lease of Cornelius Dalton's farm? "'I gave him a hundred pounds, but not at all as a bribe, sir. "'I'm an honest man, I trust, "'and the Lord forbid I'd have anything to do with a bribe. "'And if you and he knew, if you only knew, both of you, the hard strivin' and scrapin' and sweepin' I had to get it together. That will do, sir. Be silent. You received this money, Mr. Henderson? Tut, Travers, my good friend. This is playing too high a card about such a matter. Don't you know devilish well that these things are common, ay, and among gentlemen and honest men, too, as you say? Well, that is a discussion upon which I shall not enter. Now, as you say to business. Well, then, continued Henderson, smiling, if you have no objection, I am willing that you should take Skinadra's affair and mine as a precedent between you and me. Let us not be fools, Mr. Travers. It is every one for himself in this world. What is it you expect in the first place? asked the agent. Why, new leases, replied the other upon reasonable terms of course well then said travers i beg to inform you that you shall not have them with only one exception you shall have a lease of sixty-nine acres attached to the grange being the quantity of land you actually farm pray why not all of the property asked dick my good friend replied the agent nearly in his own words to the peddler the fact is that we are about to introduce a new system altogether upon our property we are determined to manage it upon a perfectly new principle it has been too much sublet under us and we have resolved mr henderson to rectify this evil that is my answer with the exception of the grange farm you get no leases you shall turn over a new leaf and see that a better order of things be established upon the property as for you skinadra settle this matter of your hundred pounds with mr henderson as best you may that was a private transaction between yourselves between yourselves then does the settlement of it lie he once more touched the bell and desired cornelius dalton and the peddler to be sent in mr henderson he proceeded i will bid you good morning you certainly look ill skinadra you may go i have sent for mr dalton mr henderson to let him know that he shall be reinstated in his farm and every reasonable allowance made him for the oppression and injustice he and his respectable family have suffered at i will not say whose hands travers replied henderson your conduct is harsh and however i cannot now think of leases i am every moment getting worse i am very ill good morning he then went and am i to lose my hundred pounds your honor of my hard-earned money that i squeezed out of the blood and marrow and life of the struggling people you heartless extortioner begone sirrah a foot of land upon the property for which i am agent you shall never occupy you and your tribe whether 
you batten upon the distress of struggling industry in the deceitful maelstroms of the metropolis or in the dirty dingy shops of the private country village are each a scorpion curse to the people your very existence is a libel upon the laws by which the rights of civil society are protected truth your honor does me injustice i never see a case of distress that my heart doesn't bleat with a leech-like propensity to pounce upon it begone the man slunk out dalton he proceeded when the old man accompanied by the pedlar came in i sent for you to say that i am willing you should have your farm again sir replied the other i am thankful and grateful to you for that kindness but it's now too late i am not able to go back upon it i have neither money nor stock of any kind i am deeply and gratefully obliged to you but i have not a sixpence worth in the world to put on it an honest heart sir and a clear fame is all that god has left me blessed be his name don't believe a word of it replied the pedlar only let your honor give him a good lease at a reasonable rent make an allowance for his improvements never mind conditions my good friend said the agent but proceed for if i don't mistake you will yourself give him a lift maybe we'll find him stock and capital a trifle anyway replied the pedlar with a knowing wink i haven't carried the pack all my life for nothing i hope i understand said the agent to dalton that one of your sons is dead i leave town to-day but i shall be here this day fortnight call then and we shall have everything arranged your case was a very hard one and a very common one but it was one with which we had nothing to do and in which until now we could not interfere i have looked clearly into it and regret to find that such cases do exist upon irish property to a painful extent although i am glad to find that public opinion and a more enlightened experience are every day considerably diminishing the evil he then rang for some one else and our friends withdrew impressed with a grateful sense of his integrity and justice chapter thirty two conclusion the interest excited by the trial involving as it did so much that concerned the sullivans especially the hopes and affections of their daughter mave naturally induced them though not on this latter account young and old to attend the assizes not excepting mave herself for her father much against her inclination had made a point to bring her with them on finding however how matters turned out a perfect and hearty reconciliation took place between the two families in the course of which mave and the prophet's wife once more renewed their acquaintance some necessary and brief explanation took place in the course of which allusion was made to sarah and her state of health i hope said mave you will lose no time in going to see her i know her affectionate heart and that when she hears and feels that she has a mother alive and well 
and that loves her as she ought to be loved, it will put new life into her. She is a fine-looking girl, replied her mother, and while I was speaking to her, I felt my heart warm to her, sure enough, but she's a wild creature, they say. Hasty a little, said May, but then such a heart as she has. You ought to go see her at once. I would, dear, and my heart is longing to see her, but I think it's better that I should not till after this trial to-morrow. I'm to be a witness against the unfortunate man. Against her father? Against your own husband? exclaimed Mave, looking aghast at this information. Yes, dear, for it was my brother he murdered, and he must take the consequences if he was my husband and her father ten times over. My brother's blood mustn't pass for nothing. Besides, the hand of God is in it, and I must do my duty. The heart of the gentle and heroic Mave, which could encounter contagion and death from a principle of unconscious magnanimity and affection, that deserved a garland, now shrunk back with pain at the sentiments so coolly expressed by Sarah's mother. She thought for a moment of young Dalton, and that if she were called upon to prosecute him, but she hastily put the fearful hypothesis aside, and was about to bid her acquaintance good-bye, when the latter said, "'Tomorrow, or rather the day after, I'd wish to see her, for then I'll know what will happen to him, and how to act with her, and if you'd come with me I'd be glad of it, and you'd oblige me.' Maeve's gentle and affectionate spirit was disquieted within her by what she had already heard but a moment's reflection convinced her that her presence on the occasion might be serviceable to sarah whose excitable temperament and delicate state of health required gentle and judicious treatment i'm afeard said mrs MacIver, that by the time the trial's over to-morrow it'll be too late but let us say the day after if it's the same to you well then replied mave you can call to our place as it's on your way and we'll both go together if she knew her said mave to her friends on her way home as i do if she only knew the heart she has the lovin and fearless the great heart oh if she did no earthly thing would prevent her from going to her without the loss of a minute's time poor sarah brave and generous girl what wouldn't I do to bring her back to health? But, ah, mother, I'm afeard. And as the noble girl spoke, the tears gushed to her eyes. It's my last act for you, she whispered to me, on that night when the house was surrounded by villains. I know what you risked for me in the shed. I know it, dear Mave, and I am now striving to pay back my debt to you. Oh, mother, she exclaimed, where where could one look for the like of her and yet how little does the world know about her goodness or her greatness i may say well proceeded mave she paid that debt and i'm afeard mother it'll turn out that it was with her own life she paid it at the hour appointed mrs MacIver and mave set out on their visit to sarah each now aware 
of the dreadful and inevitable doom that awaited her father and of the part which one of them at least had taken in bringing it about about half an hour before their arrival sarah whose anxiety touching the fate of old dalton could endure no more lay awaiting the return of her nurse a simple good-hearted matter-of-fact creature who had no notion of ever concealing the truth under any circumstances the poor girl had sent her to get an account of the trial the best way she could and as we said she now lay awaiting her return at length she came in well biddy what's the news or have you got any the old woman gently and affectionately put her hand over on sarah's forehead as if the act was a religious ceremony and accompanied an invocation as indeed she intended it to do may god in his mercy soon relieve you from your trials my poor girl and bring you to himself but it's the black news i have for you this day sarah started what news she asked hastily what black news hush now and i'll tell you in the first place your mother is alive and has come to the country sarah immediately sat up in the bed without assistance and fastening her black brilliant eyes upon the woman exclaimed my mother my mother my own mother and do you dare to tell me that this is black news leave the house i bid you i'll get up i'm not sick i'm well great god yes i'm well very well but how dare you name black news and my mother my blessed mother in the same breath or on the same day will you hear me out then continued the nurse no replied sarah attempting to get up i want to hear no more now i wish to live now i am sure of one and that one my mother my own mother to love me to guide me to teach me all that i ought to know but above all to love me and my father my poor unhappy father and he is unhappy he loves me too oh biddy i can forgive you now for what you said i will be happy still and my mother will be happy and my father my poor father will be happy yet he'll reform repent maybe and he'll once more get back his early heart his heart when it was good and not hardened as he says it was by the world biddy did you ever see any one cry with joy before ha ha did you now god strengthen you my poor child exclaimed the nurse bursting into tears for what will become of you your father sarah dear is to be hanged for murder and it was your mother's evidence that hanged him she swore against him on the trial and his sentence is passed bartle sullivan wasn't murdered at all but another man was and it was your father that done it on next friday he's to be hanged and your mother they say swore his life away if that's not black news i don't know what is sarah's face had been flushed to such a degree by the first portion of the woman's intelligence that its expression was brilliant and animated beyond belief on hearing its conclusion however the change from joy to horror was instantaneous shocking and pitiable beyond all power of language to express she was struck perfectly motionless and ghastly 
and as she kept her large lucid eyes fixed upon the woman's face the powers of life that had been hitherto in such a tumult of delight within her seemed slowly and with a deadly and scarcely perceptible motion to ebb out of her system the revulsion was too dreadful and with the appearance of one who was anxious to shrink or hide from something that was painful she laid her head down on the humble pillow of her bed now ashore said the woman struck by the woeful change don't take it too much to heart you're young and please god you'll get over it all yet no she replied in a voice so utterly changed and deprived of its strength that the woman could with difficulty hear or understand her there's but one good being in the world she said to herself and that is mave sullivan i have no mother no father all i can love now is mave sullivan that's all every one that knows her does said the nurse who said sarah inquiringly why mave sullivan replied the other weren't you speaking about her was i said she maybe so what was i saying she then put her hand to her forehead as if she felt pain and confusion after which she waved the nurse toward her but on the woman stooping down she seemed to forget that she had beckoned to her at all at this moment mave and her mother entered and after looking towards the bed on which she lay they inquired in a whisper from her attendant how she was the woman pointed hopelessly to her own head and then looked significantly at sarah as if to intimate that her brain was then unsettled there's something wrong here she added in an undertone and touching her head especially since i told her what had happened is she acquainted with everything asked her mother she is replied the other she knows that her father is to die on friday and that you swore agin him but what on earth said mave could make you be so mad as to let her know anything of that kind why she sent me to get word replied the simple creature and you wouldn't have me tell her a lie and the poor girl on her deathbed i'm afeard her mother went over and stood opposite where she lay that is near the foot of her bed and putting one hand under her chin looked at her long and steadily mave went to her side and taking her hand gently up kissed it and wept quietly but bitterly it was indeed impossible to look upon her without a feeling of deep and extraordinary interest her singularly youthful aspect her surprising beauty to which disease and suffering had given a character of purity and tenderness almost ethereal the natural symmetry and elegance of her very arms and hands the wonderful whiteness of her skin which contrasted so strikingly with the raven black of her glossy hair and the soul of thought and feeling which lay obviously expressed by the long silken eyelashes of her closed eyes all when taken in at a glance were calculated to impress a beholder with love and sympathy and tenderness such as no human heart could resist 
Mave, on glancing at her mother, saw a few tears stealing, as it were, down her cheeks. "'I wish to God, my dear daughter,' exclaimed the latter, in a low voice, "'that I had never seen your face, lovely as it is, and it surely would be better for yourself that you had never been born.' She then passed to the bedside, and, taking Mave's place, who withdrew, she stooped down, and, placing her lips upon Sarah's white, broad forehead, exclaimed, "'May God bless you, my dear daughter, is the heartfelt prayer of your unhappy mother.' Sarah suddenly opened her eyes and started. "'What is wrong? There is something wrong. Didn't I hear someone calling me daughter?' "'Here's a strange woman, Charlie Hanlon's aunt. Biddy, come here.' "'Well, Lakushla, here I am. Keep yourself quiet, Akora. What is it?' "'Didn't you tell me that my mother swore my father's life away?' "'It's what they say,' replied the matter-of-fact nurse. "'Then it's a lie that's come from hell itself,' she replied. "'Oh, if I was only up and strong as I was, let me see the man or woman that durst say so.' my mother to become unnatural and treacherous and i have a mother ha ha oh how often have i thought of this thought of what a girl i would be if i was to have a mother how good i would be too how kind to her how i would love her and how she would love me and then my heart would sink when i'd think of home ay and when nelly would speak cruelly and harshly to me i'd feel as if i could kill her or any one her eye here caught mave sullivan's and she again started what is this she exclaimed am i still in the shed mave sullivan help me up biddy i am here dear sarah replied the gentle girl i am here keep yourself quiet and don't attempt to sit up you're not able to do it the composed and serene aspect of Mave and the kind, touching tones of her voice seemed to operate favorably upon her, and to aid her in collecting her confused and scattered thoughts into something like order. "'Oh, dear Mave,' said she, "'what is this? What has happened? Isn't there something wrong? I'm confused. Have I a mother? Have I a living mother that will love me?' Her large eyes suddenly sparkled with singular animation as she asked the last question, and Mave thought it was the most appropriate moment to make the mother known to her. You have, dear Sarah, and here she is waitin' to clasp you to her heart and give you her blessin'. Where, she exclaimed, starting up in her bed as if in full health, my mother, where, where? She held her arms out towards her, for Mave had again assumed the mother's station at her bedside, and the latter stood at a little distance. On seeing her daughter's arms widely extended towards her, she approached her, but whether checked by Sarah's allusion to her conduct, or from a wish to spare her excitement, or from some natural coldness of disposition, it is difficult to say. She did it with so little appearance of the eager enthusiasm that the heart of the latter expected, and with a manner so singularly cool and unexcited that 
Sarah, whose feelings were always decisive and rapid as lightning, had time to recognize her features as Hanlon's aunt, whom she had seen and talked to before. But that was not all. She perceived not in her those external manifestations of strong affection and natural tenderness for which her own heart yearned almost convulsively. There was no sparkling glance, no precipitate emotion, no gushing of tears, no mother's love, in short, nothing of what her noble and loving spirit could, recognized as kindred to itself and to her warm and impulsive heart. The moment, the glance that sought and found not what it looked for, were decisive. The arms that had been extended remained extended still, but the spirit of that attitude was changed, as was that eager and tumultuous delight which had just flashed from her countenance. Her thoughts, as we said, were quick, and in almost a moment's time she appeared to be altogether a different individual. Stop, she exclaimed, now repelling instead of soliciting the embrace. There isn't the love of a mother in that woman's heart. And what did I hear? That she swore my father's life away, her husband's life away. No, no, I'm changed. I see my father's blood shed by her too, his own wife. Look at her features, they're hard and harsh. There's no love in her eyes. They're cold and severe. No, no, there's something wrong there. I feel that, I feel it. It's here, the feelings in my heart. Oh, what a dark hour this is. You are right, Biddy. You brought me black news this day. But it won't, it won't trouble me long. It won't trouble this poor brain long. It won't pierce this poor heart long. I hope not. Oh, she exclaimed, turning to Maeve, and extending her arms toward her. Maeve Sullivan, let me die. The affectionate but disappointed girl had all Maeve's sympathies, whose warm and affectionate feelings recoiled from the coldness and apparent want of natural tenderness which characterized the mother's manner. Under circumstances in themselves so affecting. Still, after having soothed Sarah for a few minutes and placed her head once more upon the pillow, she whispered to the mother, who seemed to think more than to feel, Don't be surprised when you consider the state she's in, and indeed it isn't to be wondered at after what she has heard. You must make every allowance for the poor girl. Sarah's emotions were now evidently in incessant play. Biddy, said she, come here again, help me up. Dear Sarah, said Maeve, you are not able to bear all this. If you could compose yourself and forget everything unpleasant for a while, till you grow strong, if I could forget that my mother has no heart to love me with, that she's cold and strange to me, if I could forget that she's brought my father to a shameful death, my father's heart wasn't altogether bad. No, and he was once, 
I mean in his early life, a good man. I know that I feel that, dear Sarah, sleep deep, dear Sarah. No, bad as he is, there was a thousand times more love and nature in the voice that spoke them words than in a hundred women like my mother that hasn't yet kissed my lips. Biddy, come here, I say. Here, lift me up again. There was such energy and fire and command in her voice and words now that Mave could not remonstrate any longer, nor the nurse refuse to obey her. When she was once more placed sitting, she looked about her. Mother, she said, come here. And as she pronounced the word mother, a trait so beautiful, so exquisite, so natural, and so pathetic, accompanied it, that Mave once more wept. Her voice, in uttering the word, quivered and softened into tenderness with the affection which nature itself seems to have associated with it. Sarah herself remarked this, even in the anguish of the moment. My very heart knows and loves the word, she said. Oh, why is it that I am to suffer this? Is it possible that the empty name is all that's left me after all? Mother, come here. I am pleading for my father now. You pleaded against him, but I always took the weakest side. Here is God now among us. You must stand before him. Look your daughter in the face, and answer her, as you expect to meet God when you leave this troubled life. Truth, truth now, mother, and nothing else. Mother, I'm dying now, as God is your judge. Did you ever love my father as a wife ought? There was some irresistible spirit, some unaccountable power in her manner and language, such command and such wonderful love of candor in her full dark eye that it was impossible to gainsay or withstand her i will speak the truth replied her mother evidently borne away and subdued although it's against myself to my shame and to my sorrow i say it that when i married your father another man had my affections but as i'm to appear before god I never wronged him. I don't know how it is that you've made me confess it, but at any rate you're the first that ever wrung it out of me. That will do, replied her daughter calmly. That sounds like murder from a mother's lips. Lay me down now, Biddy. Maeve, who had scarcely ever taken her eyes from off her varying and busy features, was now struck by a singular change which she observed come over them, a change that was nothing but the shadow of death and cannot be described. Sarah, she exclaimed, Dear darling Sarah, what is the matter with you? Have you got ill again? Oh, my child, exclaimed her mother, am I to lose you this way at last? Oh, dear Sarah, forgive me, I'm your mother, and you'll forgive me. Babe, said Sarah, take this. I remember seeing yours and mine together not very long ago. Take this lock of my hair. I think you'll get a pair of scissors on the corner of the shelf. Cut it off with your own hands. Let it be sent to
to my father, and when he's dying a disgraceful death, let him wear it next his heart, and wherever he's to be buried, let him have this buried with him. Let whoever will give it to him say that it comes from Sarah, and that, if she was able, she would be with him through shame and disgrace and death that she'd support him as well as she could in his trouble, that she'd scorn the world for him, and that because he said once in his life that he loved her, she'd forgive him all a thousand times and would lay down her life for him. You would do that, my noble girl, exclaimed Mave with a choking voice, and above all things proceeded Sarah, let him be told, if it can be done, that Sarah said to him to die without fear, to bear it up like a man and not like a coward, to look manfully about him on the very scaffold, and, and to die as a man ought to die, bravely and without fear, bravely and without fear. Her voice and strength were, since the last change that Mave observed, both rapidly sinking, and her mother anxious, if possible, to have her forgiveness, again approached her and said, Dear Sarah, you are angry with me. Oh, forgive me, am I not your mother? The girl's resentments, however, had not passed, and the business of her life and its functions she now felt were all over. She said so. It's all over at last now, mother, she replied. I have no anger now. Come and kiss me. Whatever you have done, you are still my mother. Bless me. Bless your daughter Sarah. I have nothing now in my heart but love for everybody. Tell Nellie, dear Mave, that Sarah forgave her, and hoped that she'd forgive Sarah. Mave, I trust you and he will be happy. That's my last wish and tell him so. Mave, there's sweet faces about me, such as I seen in the shed. They're smiling upon me, smiling upon Sarah, upon poor, hasty Sarah McGowan, that would have loved every one. Mave, think of me sometimes, and let him, when he thinks of the wild girl that loved him, look upon you, dearest Mave, and love you, if possible, better for her sake." these sweet faces are about me again father i'll be before you die die like a man while uttering these last few sentences which were spoken with great difficulty she began to pull the bedclothes about with her hands and whilst uttering the last word her beautiful hand was slightly clenched as if helping out a sentiment so completely in accordance with her brave spirit. These motions, however, ceased suddenly. She heaved a deep sigh, and the troubled spirit of the kind, the generous, the erring but affectionate Sarah McGowan, as we shall call her still, passed away to another, and we trust a better life. The storms of her heart and brain were at rest forever. Thus perished in early life one of those creatures that sometimes seem as if they were placed by mistake in a wrong sphere of existence. It is impossible to say what a height of moral grandeur 
and true greatness culture and education might have elevated her or to say with what brilliancy her virtues might have shone had heart and affections been properly cultivated like some beautiful and luxuriant flower however she was permitted to run into wildness and disorder for want of a guiding hand but no want no absence of training could ever destroy its natural delicacy nor prevent its fragrance from smelling sweet even in the neglected situation where it was left to pine and die there is little now to be added time the consoler passes not in vain even over the abodes of wretchedness and misery the sufferings of that year of famine we have endeavored to bring before those who may have the power in their hands of assuaging the similar horrors which are likely to visit this the pictures we have given are not exaggerated but drawn from memory and the terrible realities of eighteen seventeen it is unnecessary to add that when sickness and the severity of winter passed away our lovers mave and young condy dalton were happily married as they deserved to be and occupied the farm from which the good old man had been so unjustly expelled it was on the first social evening that the two families now so happily reconciled spent together subsequent to the trial that bartle sullivan gratified them with the following account of his history i remember fightin he proceeded with condy on that night and the devil's own bulliabatha he was we went into a corner of the field near the greystone to decide it all at once i forgot what happened till i found myself lying upon a car with the mcmahons of edinburgh that lived ten or twelve miles beyond the mountains at the foot of carnmore they knew me and good right they had for i had been speaking to their sister shibby but she wasn't for me at the time although i was ready to kick my own shadow about her god knows well you see i felt disgraced at being beaten by con dalton and i was fond of her so what did you have of us but off we went together to america for you see she promised to marry me if i'd go they had taken me up on one of their carts thinking i was drunk to leave me for safety in the next neighbor's house we came to well she and i married when we got to boston but god never blessed us with a family and toddy here who took the life of a peddler came back after many a long year with a good purse and lived with us at last i began to long for home and so we all came together the prophet's wife was with us and another passenger told me that con here had been suspected of murdering me i got unwell in liverpool but i sent toddy on before me to make their minds easy as we were talking over these matters i happened to mention to the woman what i had seen the night the carman was murdered and i wondered at the way she looked on hearing it 
she went on but after a time came back to liverpool for me and took the typhus on her way home but thank god we were all in time to clear the innocent and punish the guilty ay and reward the good too hey toddy i'll give mave away replied toddy if there wasn't another man in europe and when i'm puttin your hand into con's mave it won't be an empty one ay and if your friend sarah the wild girl had lived but it can't be helped death takes the young as well as the old and may god prepare us all to meet him young richard henderson's anticipations were unfortunately too true on leaving mr travers's office he returned home took his bed and in the course of one short week had paid by a kind of judicial punishment the fatal penalty of his contemplated profligacy his father survived him only a few months so that there is not at this moment one of the name or blood of henderson in the grange the old man died of a quarrel with jimmy brannigan to whom he left a pension of fifty pounds a year and truly the grief of this aged servant after him was unique and original what's to come of me said jimmy with tears in his eye i have nothing to do nobody to attend to nobody to fight with nobody to disturb me or put me out of temper i knew however that he would stick to his wickedness to the last and so he did for the devil tempted him out of sheer malice when he could get at me no way else to leave me fifty pounds a year to keep me easy such revenge and villainy by a dying man was never heard of god help me what am i to do now or what hand will i turn to what is there before me but peace and quietness for the remainder of my life but i won't stand that long and to leave me fifty pounds a year to keep me easy god forgive him the prophet suffered the sentence of the law but refused all religious consolation whether his daughter's message ever reached him or not we have no means of ascertaining he died however as she wished firmly but sullenly and as if he despised and defied the world and its laws he neither admitted his guilt nor attempted to maintain his innocence but passed out of existence like a man who was already wearied with its cares and who now felt satisfied when it was too late that contempt for the laws of god and man never leads to safety much less to happiness his only observation was the following when i dreamt that young dalton drove a nail in my coffin little i thought it would end this way we have simply to conclude by saying that roddy duncan was transported for perjury and that nelly became a devotee or votine and as far as one could judge exhibited something like repentance for the sinful life she had led with the prophet End of section 16 Recording by James Carson End of the Black Prophet by William Carleton